Hello and welcome back to the T-Druff, the Film Buff Podcast. This is episode 46, the first episode in a little over two months uh, since everything kind of went down with COVID-19. It was really that last week, uh, that last episode I had was kind of when things started to go a little haywire. Tom Hanks got diagnosed with uh, COVID-19. Then you had Rudy Gobert, the NBA shut down. Um, I mean, just everything kind of came to a halt. States shut down. Most of us still shut down in whatever states we're in right now. Things are probably going to start opening back up in a couple weeks, I would assume. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to, to jump back into uh, you know, film, TV, news, reviews, you know, callbacks to old movies, shows. Maybe I'm checking out. Maybe a little sports mixed in there as well. And really, the main driver for the reason, the hiatus, I guess, this podcast, if anybody gives a shit, uh, is that there's not much film or TV news going on. It's starting to pick up a little bit, as I follow a bunch of you know reporters on Twitter and online, uh, but it's still so slow. I can't imagine there's really much going on right now anyway. Now, besides meetings over what Zoom and, and FaceTime, I guess you're not meeting with producers, you're not meeting with actors or directors right now. So everything in Hollywood podcast has been based on has come to a halt. But I kind of came to the decision. You know what? This is the first week in the new place here, or second week, whatever it's been. I feel like it's time to kick that podcast back up. It doesn't even matter if I have nothing really to talk about. Um, we're just gonna do something every week. However long I, I last, I don't know. I guess we're just, we're, we're going to call this season two of T. Druff, the Film Buff Podcast. Um, and actually, right before I just started recording this, it seemed like the Twitter was telling me that the MLB announced that they will be coming to an agreement to start play around the 4th of July weekend, of course, with no fans. But to all of us at home, we don't care. I mean, it's um, something other than the fantastic, which we're going to get into in a second, uh, Last Dance documentary. But I, I mean, that the July start date for baseball, and I kind of feel like if baseball is doing it, the NBA will probably start back up in July as well. I feel like the NBA is an easier transition to, to start back up than baseball. There's going to be over 20 people on a baseball roster. I would imagine that they're going to probably allow 30 players uh, per roster, um, it just makes m- the most sense that way. Um, but I, I think in basketball, I mean, in basketball, you have 12, 13 guys per team, you have a couple coaches and that's it. Then referees, that's all you need in the arena. That's 40 people. It's under 40 people. Um, four refs, three or four refs, three coaches on each team. That's basically 20 members of your team each i mean that's 40 to 50 people total in an arena and they you know without fans you can have everybody sitting in a decent side i mean you could have one team on one side another team on the other side that's how it could work i mean so that nobody's really crossing paths when they don't need to of course you can't avoid it uh, during the actual play of the game and you know you know, this thing could be spread via, you know, hand touching and of course things like that. So it'll be a little harder with basketball, I guess, than baseball in that way. 
especially that they're passing around the same basketball the entire game. But you know what? Let's leave this sort of analyzing to people who know a lot more about sports than I do at this point. Uh, but let's get into film and TV. And of course, that first thing is The Last Dance, which covers uh, the last year of Michael Jordan's reign uh, in Chicago. Uh, with the Bulls in 1997 to 1998. But I love that each episode basically covers a year to two years, if not three years, leading up to the last dance. So, right, the first episode covered his high school and child years, then the next episode in the college, and then so on and so forth. And then I just love the buildup in each, you know, over the last three or four episodes, each episode has been a different finals uh, before the 1998 finals, right? Um, so I, I just think it's really, really well done. And I love that, sure, you could, you, I, I guess you can call it one long movie, but it does, it, it feels such like an appointment television type viewing. And I love the way they're doing it. Two episodes each night for five weeks. Of course, it would have been nice to have this spread out over 10 weeks, but I kind of like the momentum it builds with the two episodes like as soon as you really really start to get into it that first episode's already over and then you get the second episode so it's okay we have another full hour we're good um and i love the little trivia bits they're throwing in there in between i love the random videos of of celebrities that are talking about their memories of the bulls or michael jordan um so just a lot to love with with that documentary series overall and i i can't wait till it's on netflix this summer because i definitely will watch it again full way through I just found everything so engrossing about it. And they finally mentioned Space Jam this past week, uh, this past weekend. Um, little Those little bits of how Jordan was running like team scrimmages and practices and the Warner Brothers lot, like, come on, that's freaking brilliant. Um, anyway, that's enough of The Last Dance. Let's move on to what else I, I've been kind of watching and, and finishing over the last couple of weeks. I'm midway through defending Jacob right now. Uh, I think that show is very well done as well. Uh, I finished Little Fires Everywhere. It wasn't really for me. Um, I can see, I could see the appeal of, of it. I thought some things were a little too on the nose. Other things weren't too in depth. They need to explain more. Or they need to build out certain characters or certain plot lines more. I don't know. It, it just wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. Uh, finished Truth Be Told a couple weeks back. I thought that was a solid Apple series, but nothing. Nothing special. I think Defending Jacob is the much more strong uh, crime drama that you can find on Apple TV. Um, so, so I would I would recommend that. Um, let's see what else am I watching? I'm still watching Friends from College. That's like a one episode a month thing. For some reason, I can't can't binge that show. It's really funny every time I watch it. It's just not something I'm like consistently. Uh, glued to the television for it. The Leftovers, it's been over a week, I think, since I've watched an episode because, you know, moving to the new place and everything. Um, but, oh, my God, that is... I think that might be one of the greatest shows I've ever seen, and I, I can't believe it's been this long. And I waited this long since I've... since they even started the show and then since I last watched an episode. But it's one of those ones where I don't even want to binge it. I want it to, to last for months upon months. Um, it's just so damn good uh finished ozark about a week ago uh, ozark season three i should say and you know the first season it took me like five six months to watch that first season back in 2017 or whatever it was it, it was one of those things where i was like this show's good it does feel like it's kind of ripping off breaking bad a little bit 
and it just kind of wants to be that too much. Uh, and it took me so long to finish it. And when the second season came out, it was like a few months before that. I was like, okay, I'm going to finish that first season and then go right to the second season, which I did. Uh, and I liked the second season a little bit more. Um, but I still, there's certain character beats and plot points I could not get behind with that show. And then that all went to sleep in the latter half of season three. I mean, I will tell you, Laura Linney, as well as Tom Pelfrey, uh, they not only deserve Emmy nominations, I would not be disappointed if they both won Emmys this year. If, you know, that is, of course, if the Emmys do take place with the coronavirus. Um, and Jason Bateman, it, it's kind of funny because he kind of takes a back seat during this season. It's not really his season to control or his season to to power uh, you know, over everybody else like the, I feel like the previous two were. And of course, Julia Garner's is really fantastic as well. But all those shows are great, but I think the best show I've finished, at least for now, uh, over the last month or so is Afterlife on, on Netflix. I think it legitimately might be the best TV series or film Netflix has ever produced. Ever. Uh, it is just so up my alley. I love like this tough, snarky guy that Ricky Gervais plays that, that just has so much heart to him. Um, and so much underneath the surface. It's not even so much that I relate to that. It's just I, I love those type of characters. Um, and he's effortlessly funny. I think the supporting cast is also underrated and and not even underused because that second season really builds them out. Everybody has their own, you know, little tiny arc and, and everybody has their own specific relationship with Tony as well. Uh, I love that the dog is like the freaking savior for every bad situation that Tony gets himself into. And I just love how sweet that series is. I mean, I cannot wait for season three. And I, I got to be honest, I hope that the show goes for 10 seasons, even though it's not really the type of show that could go for 10 seasons. It's kind of built off the, a, 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 a plot thread that uh, is affecting the main character in a, in a particular way. His wife dies at the start of the show, and the, the, the show just kind of deals with the aftermath of it. Um, and how he deals with loss and, and, and how depressed he gets every day. Um, I don't know that you can drag that on for 10 seasons, but I would welcome it, especially with these little bits. It's like 25, 30-minute episodes, six episodes for two seasons. You can finish that in three, four hours. Done. I mean, it, it is it is so... God, it is so, it is so good. I, I, can't, I can't rave enough about it. I'm telling you, I can't rave enough about it. All right, uh, let's see here. I mean, I, I, you know, I typed out a little bit of notes here, and I, I put down that Haim had a new song. It's just because I have to mention that every single episode. I love that band so much. Um, and the new song, I Know Alone, might be my new favorite that they've put out over the last year. Those, those new five songs they've had, um, it might be my favorite. I love the, the simplistic video to it as well it's just so heim it's so heim that's what i love all, all these new songs is that they're all so different but yet they all feel so perfect to the artist they all feel so uh it, it's so the opposite of, of i mean it's, it's so genuine 
You know what I mean? Like, for lack of a better term, I mean, uh, it, quite often they just leave me speechless, these these songs. So I'm probably in the minority. I'm pro- I don't even think a lot of people even like the band, to be honest. I think it, I think it's just a, more of a cult following. I mean, they're popular. They're just not that popular. But again, they appeal to my like cinematic um, love of music, right? I love music that makes me envision something that makes me think of something imagine something or remind me of a certain time um and not all music can do that you you want all music to do that but not every song or every album can do that um it's certainly Haim has a knack for it anyway i kind of figured that you know since that there's been this long of a hiatus uh for this podcast i personally wanted to do a list that was like about how long it's been um, it referenced the fact that I've taken so freaking long to record another episode. And so I decided to just make a, a list sort of off the top of my head, not really, of my favorite like, long takes or long shots in a movie. And it's also kind of an honor, I was thinking of this while I was watching Extraction the other night, which is the new Chris Hemsworth movie um, that has a few specific long take scenes. And... Um, you know, it, I mean, the movie itself, solid. It's not great. It's not like something I'm going to rewatch anytime soon. Um, but I just thought it would be a fun little list. It's not, I didn't even have any of these ranked. Um, and there's probably about 10 or so here. But, I mean, off the top of my head, like, of course, I haven't seen movies like, and these are, these are movies that I saw on many lists online. So these ones are not ones off the top of my head at all. But I haven't seen films like The Passenger, Touch of Evil, The Protector, Mirror, The Weekend, or I think it's just Weekend, uh, Boogie Nights, or The Player. I saw all those movies. Uh, I think one of them was like The Arcs of Russia or something like that. I haven't seen any of these movies, uh, and they all were on long lists of, of great long takes in movies. But... I do have plenty of good options here. And one of them was Atonement. And I found that funny because I was looking up, you know, stuff about this movie. And I only watched this movie maybe last summer, was it? Like almost a year ago now, I think. Uh, And I found it funny that they only did this long take scene. And of course, it it takes place. It's like a World War II film, right? And and this scene is involving James McAvoy uh, along the, the Dunkirk beach. And he's just kind of walking and it's just a conversation. There's not anything particularly important about the fact that they did a long take in this scene. But I found it funny that they t- they only shot it like that is because they just couldn't afford thousands of extras for you know the Dunkirk uh, battle and just everything that went on in that beach. Uh, so that was kind of funny. But I, I love that movie and I love that long take. Uh, Gravity I have here written down. Uh, it's really the opening establishing shot that I think is, it's like 12 minutes. Is it 17, 12 or 17? For some reason, those two numbers come to mind. It's, it's over 10 minutes for sure. And it completely sets the tone for the film. It's very slow building. And then as soon as things start to happen, they don't stop happening until the very end of the film, which I loved. It's it's just like, okay, this is going to be a nice calm little space mission here. They're just fixing their little, you know, ship and, and, uh, and from a, a long ways away, you see that debris flying in, and oh man, Stephen Price's score it just hits so well. Um, and yeah, I, I absolutely love that film, and I love that opening shot. 
uh, old boy this is when i was re-watching earlier just a little clip of it's like two three minute clips uh and, and just the music in the sheet in the scene it's it he's just beating up like 40 to 50 guys he's taking a beating for a lot of it but he's beating up a bunch of guys and the camera just moves slowly back and forth while he goes uh through this hallway or whatever it is i think it's lit incredibly well uh it's shot meticulously where you know, you know exactly what's going on, but you're also like, this is really chaotic at the same time. Um, I mentioned here, I, I wrote down, it's not like this is one of the greatest films of all time, but I feel like it was worth mentioning because it came up in my mind, was the long take of Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, Booksmart. That would be the, the scene at the party when uh, Caitlin Deaver and uh, Beanie Feldstein are having a little bit of an argument and the camera just keeps panning around them and around them and around them uh, while everybody else in the room eventually just starts staring at them. And, you know, that's it's the conflict right there. That was like the, the main tipping point for their relationship, their friendship. Um, and yeah, I, I thought that was really well directed uh, and, and it perfectly encapsulates that the tone of the movie right there in that scene. Um, yeah. Great stuff. One of my favorite movies of last year. Uh, of course, you know, everybody's going to think of Children of Men when they think of long takes. This is one of the most famous ones. Uh, it's that long conversation in the car. Uh, it's a post-apocalyptic movie. Or not, not really post-apocalyptic. What would you call that? It's like utopian? Dystopian? One of those two. Um, it's definitely later on when the there's not... I think it's like no new babies are being allowed to be born. Something like that. And they have one in the car. Of course, and then Julianne Moore, spoiler alert, gets shot in the face, and then the just chaotic, just, everything just goes to shit uh, for the next four or five minutes, and it's all shot in one take. Uh, I believe that would be also Alfonso Cuaron, uh, who I also mentioned with Gravity. Uh, of course, another famous one is Goodfellas, and, and it's funny, when I was re-watching this scene, it's like, if you watch this scene... Uh, without seeing the movie and without knowing what you're watching you'd be like oh this is just a, a peaceful little italian movie they're having they're going to have dinner it might even be a romance here oh it's like maybe maybe even a comedy uh and then but you have no idea what you're getting in for i mean there's a little bit of all that stuff in goodfellas don't get me wrong uh, but i just love how that scene is that that one long take everybody remembers and it really doesn't set the exact tone of the rest of the movie it's just this really nice calm and almost like energetic in a way uh look at, at uh you know uh ray loyota taking his girlfriend into uh uh the copacabana uh yeah i should say henry hill the character's name taking his girlfriend into the copacabana and just kind of there's just so much joy in that scene there's a great song choice that scorsese choose i mean great stuff uh, anyway Let's move on. Before Midnight also has a really, really, really great long take. Uh, that's near the end of the movie. It's that long late night argument they have. And, and really the entire Before trilogy can be considered a good long take because they have so many good moments in, in those scenes that are longer than they usually would be in normal romance films. I just love the walk and talk nature of... of um, of the director. Why can't I think of his name? Now I gotta look it up. I gotta look it up mid podcast. Richard Linklater. Why I didn't even have to look it up, it just came to mind. Anyway, before midnight, 
fantastic. I would suggest everybody watches the entire Before trilogy. Uh, another one that's like, I feel like people forget about how great this long take is. It's in Creed, um, 2015 movie. I don't think they had really a good long take in the sequel, if I'm remembering correctly. But I love that um, it it's like that first major fight that he has. It's not even the championship fight. And, you know, the camera just keeps panning around. And we're like, wait, like two minutes into the sequence, you're like, wait, hold on. Have they had a cut yet? Or is this... This is really going to be all one take. And I think that there is little camera tricks in there because, you know, there's even a couple of uh, timeouts that, is that what they call them, boxing? I don't even know. Uh, where Sly comes over and, and, you know, fixes his nose a little bit, gets his mouth guard in there. It's like, that's some really, really impressive makeup work if there wasn't a little bit of camera tricks in there. Even if there is, uh, it's still incredibly impressive. Um I mean, La La Land, of course, has a great one. They have multiple great long takes, but I chose the A Lovely Night sequence um, just because that one is truly one take. You know, Another Day in the Sun is, I think, three separate takes. Someone in the crowd has like two or three different great long takes that uh, equal a great song. Um, and of course, there's all those great montage scenes and, and other. The audition is such a great long take. It's the full song sung live by Emma Stone. Uh, but I think a lovely night. Just that to me is what La La Land is all about. It's that that romance that that you know that random nights you meet each other. And I guess that was like what the third time they met. Uh, and then they just go dance the night away on the freaking Hollywood Hills. Like, I mean, what what is happening? Like, this is fantastic. Uh, it's just one of the many reasons why I love that movie. A um, couple more. I mean, the Mission Impossible Fallout 1 is kind of funny because that long take of him running and then breaking his leg uh, had to be chopped up into two separate ones. I think they're filmed like six months apart. But really, if you didn't know it was two different shots, then you wouldn't even... You wouldn't even question it, um, but of course, I mean, since once you kind of know, it's it's pretty evident that there's there's a little bit of a cut there, uh, but still great to mention. Uh, the raid films, of course, have fantastic fight sequences that are uh, several really long takes. I think one in the second one is like seven to ten minutes or something long. It's all fight sequence, incredibly great, great, uh, great choreography. Uh, Spectre has a great one in the opening during the Day of the Dead sequence. Uh, the Revenge film from 2018, I think it was. I think that that was, what, kind of, what country was that film from? I'm not sure, but no matter what it, where, uh, where it was from, where it was made, the film is fantastic. And there is one really great chase scene in a house that the camera just keeps going around and around in a hallway. Uh, and that was really great that it, it came to my mind. Um, and really the last couple were like Rope, 1917, Victoria, and Birdman. All four of those films meant to look like one take. And besides Victoria, they're all not one take, of course. Victoria is that incredible 2015 film, uh, starring Laia Costa. Uh, and, and it is in fact shot in all one take. Uh, I think they did three separate tries and they used the second one i want to say but it was shot at like 2 3 a.m in the morning really impressive work and it's great as a film by itself even without the gimmick of it being a long take uh, so really those are the ones that came to mind just i found that funny and that i wanted to kind of you know 
go over some of the great long takes that I remember in movies. And of course, they didn't include TV, so none of the stuff with like Game of Thrones, where Jon Snow is being charged uh, at by a bunch of horses in Battle of the Bastards, or let's say the great one in True Detective, or these several great ones uh, throughout the seasons in Daredevil. You know, that sort of thing. I didn't didn't even mention that because we were just doing film. We were just doing film. Um, yeah, so I mean, those are just a, kind of a few of many. That's that's going to pretty much be the end of the episode here uh, for the T-Draft the Film Buff podcast. Um, yeah, new home for the podcast. We'll call this season two, I guess. Who really cares anyway? Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately at this point, I'm just waiting for that day that they announce the tenant's no longer to be released in July. Um, I think it's going to happen pretty soon. It might even might have even just happened by the time I, I press stop on this pod, podcast. Um, but here's hoping we get it in mid-July. That'll do it. Stay safe out there. Peace.